in praise to our God.
notice Jesus Like sunshine a new day His glory shone in The light of the world is Jesus No darkness for those who in Jesus abide Light of the world is Jesus. Walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, it's shining for you. Sweetly the light is dawning upon me. setting us free 
And we pray that our worship today will reflect our gratitude and the joy in our hearts for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. Be glorified in our worship and lead us closer to you and to one another. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with those who are here in worship today. There are a number of things in the bulletin about stuff coming up this week and in the days ahead, and I encourage you to take a moment and read about that. Uh, We're also coming up to our missions conference, and Paul Shea is going to share just a little bit with us about that. Well, our missions committee wants to say welcome back for the sacrifice of coming to western New York from Haiti to the Shears. (laughs) Father Sunshine into the snowstorm this week. Good to have you back, and we hope we can hear from you sometime uh, about the trip. What is it, about the 35th trip to Haiti for that team in many years? Uh, last week at Houghton College Chapel, Dr. Joanne Lyon, Wesleyan Church, said, the church does not have a mission in the world. God's mission has a church in the world. Are we that church? She went on to expound in Romans 15 the call to serve in word and deed and sign and wonder and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the next few weeks, we have a chance to connect to God's mission in some real practical ways in our church. And we don't often make big announcements about this, but come next Sunday, if you will, and I'm sure you will, to hear uh, Dr. George Beals from World Hope International as he speaks in our morning services. And also in Kaleidoscope, to hear uh, from two missionaries, two missionary units who have completed over 40 years of missionary service that we've supported, and then two new ones who are going out from our district and from our church. So that'll be important. On a more personal note, and two important dates, consider signing up for Saturday, February 7th, it's in your bulletin, a little yellow sheet, to minister in the west side of Buffalo. And it's an intergenerational outreach, so children, youth, families, um, these need to be filled out if you're interested and put into the bins that are around for the Haiti collection or in the offering plate. You could do it right during this service. Also, there's a Wellspring meal on February 17th. So it's February 7th, February 17th. And we need preparation of the meal here and then we need service of the meal um, down in Angelica. We really need real people real mission, missional people to sign up for these things. They don't just happen. They have a great committee uh, led by Mim Case, and, and they've been planning, and there's stuff for children as well. So those are two things we'd love you to sign up for, to participate in. And finally, you'll see in the bulletin the notice about the faith promise. Some of it may be a little bit confusing to you, but our church commits a budget out of the annual budget. Just the way we operate to support missionaries and various ministries in our church But there's another personal, more kind of faith-oriented way. I shouldn't say that because our budget is by faith too. But we trust God to stretch our faith and our dollars beyond our normal tithes and offerings. And the goal is necessary and it's strategic. 
It could reach over $27,500. You look at your bullet and you can see some of the areas. So let's pray for what our part is in the faith promise. Next week you'll receive a card which you can fill out and the following Sunday we'll collect those cards and see how God has opened our eyes to be a mission church in his mission. Thanks. I'd like to invite the ushers forward now to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Climb out of this boat I'm in Onto the crashing waves To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And he's holding out his hand But the waves are calling out my name And they laugh at me Reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed Waves that keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth Please sing with us Oh, what I would do to have The kind of strength it takes to stand before the giants just a sling and a stone Surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors Shaking in their armor Wishing they'd had the strength to stand But the giant's calling out my name And he laughs at me Reminding me of all the times I tried before and failed The giant keeps on telling me Time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me. I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. But the stone was just the right size to put the giant on the ground. And the waves that don't seem so high, until they put it down. I will soar with the wings of eagles when I stop and listen to the sound of Jesus singing over me. And the voice of truth. Story. The voice of truth says, Do not be 
be afraid. And the voice of truth says, This is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe. I will choose to listen and believe. I will listen and believe the voice of truth. I will listen and believe, Jesus, you are the voice of truth. And I will listen to you. spend time praying together if you'd like to use the altar rails the place where you offer your prayers please come and join me Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Christ. Father, we acknowledge this morning that through him we recognize your many gifts, your goodness to us that is really beyond counting. We see how often we fall short of your dreams and plans for us, and yet at the same time, we hear you calling us to forgiveness, to grace, offering us yourself. We pray, Father, that this morning as we gather in this place, that we will know your presence leading and guiding us, and, and in the burdens and the concerns of our hearts, that we would sense you with us. We pray, Father, for this morning for all who are grieving, wrestling with issues of loss and death, and we pray especially for Alton Shea's family, and we ask for your comforting presence to continue to be upon them and upon our hearts and minds for all the ways in which we experience loss in this fallen, broken, fragile world. Father, we pray for all who are wrestling with uh, physical pain and struggles, body, mind, and spirit. We pray especially today for Jill Tyson and Priscilla Waltz, for Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, and for Bill Roski and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Isla Shea, Dick Gould for Edna Howard and Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our hearts today, and we pray for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, in this world of pain and struggle and difficulty, we pray for your presence to be evident in our world. 
Father, as we move toward this missions weekend, we pray that you would open our hearts to your world that you created and you love. We pray that we would indeed be your church in your world. And that we would have a passion that people would know you and know the joy and the freedom of being in relationship with you. Continue to challenge us and help us. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face great difficulties in this world, who wrestle with persecution and opposition. And we pray that you would surround them with your loving presence, protect them, give them courage, and may they bear witness to you in circumstances that are so difficult. Lord, we thank you for being with us. Thank you for teaching us and drawing us to yourself. And as we continue in worship this morning, we pray that you will open our eyes to who you are and to what you want to do in us and with us and through us. We pray all of this, Father, through the name and power and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John. I invite those who are able to stand for the gospel reading. And following the scripture reading, children ages two years through third grade will be dismissed for children's church and junior church. Beginning in John chapter 13, verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I know you may stand back up.
Father, we pray that you will uh, help us to see you and to understand your word and open our hearts to all that you want to say to us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. I think one of my most vivid, vivid memories of college is the very first day of my freshman year. It's a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we all were met in the gym with their parents. And at some point in that time, we as freshmen went this way and parents went that way. And uh, then we went eventually back to our rooms. And what I remember more than anything else is walking into my room and feeling this overwhelming sense of loneliness. We had just moved to Oregon a couple of months before. I really didn't know anybody on that campus. I didn't know my roommate. I hadn't met my roommate yet. I didn't know anything about what was going to happen. Every single thing that I encountered was completely brand new. Every person I met was new. And I remember sitting in my room, and my roommate wasn't there yet, and just feeling this overwhelming sense of loneliness. And just thinking to myself, am I going to be able to do this? That wasn't very long, maybe even just a few hours. When all of that went away, as I began to meet people and engage people and get into being a college student, and I loved it. But I remember that first feeling, uh, almost a sense of feeling abandoned. And when I read this part of the Gospels, I have this sense that somewhat the disciples are feeling that. Jesus is talking about going away. And they're anxious about that. They have spent more than three years with him. Virtually every waking moment, he has been the person that they've been looking for. He has changed their lives. And now he's talking about going away. And he says, you can't go with me. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, you know, let me go back a second. The, the, the chapter and verse distinctions in scriptures are so helpful when you're trying to find something. I mean, how hard would it be if all we had in the book of John was just words, paragraphs? You know, we'd have to count. Go to the, go to the 300th paragraph in your Bible, which is maybe 200 and 47th in my Bible. I mean, you, you know, they're important and they help us find things. We say John chapter 14, verse 6, we can get right to it. But the drawback to those distinctions, and of course those were only included in the, you know, 14th, 15th century was when those were designed. But the drawback is that we have a tendency to think that the chapter headings are what begin, that, that something new happens every time there's a chapter heading. And so when you, we have a tendency to look at John chapter 14 and we start there and we think that's the beginning of the dialogue. But actually John 14 is set in the context of what goes on in chapter 13. And in chapter 13, Jesus sits down, down with his disciples. It is the upper room. It's the story of him washing their feet. We have the, the, uh, the, uh, the communion, the last Lord's Supper that he institutes with them. And you get to the end of it and Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm only going to be with you a little while and I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't come with me. And Peter says, Lord, why can't we go with you? And I, I'll go to the death for you. 
And you just sense that Peter is thinking that he can't go because he's not strong enough or he's not able to go. And he's saying, I'm tough enough, I'm, I'm close enough, I'm good enough, I can do it. And Jesus says, Peter, before this night's over, you're going to deny that you even know me. And then Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And I, I think he's saying to them, there's going to be some difficult stuff going on these next few hours. And, and in the next few days and long after that. And I am going away from you and you're going to find some ups and downs. Don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, we're, and I'm going to come back and take you to that place. And he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't even know the place. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus says, just one thing you need to know. I am the way. And if you know me, you know the place and you know my Father because we're one. And if you are with me and following the way, your lives are going to be turned upside down and you're going to accomplish more than you could have dreamed or imagined. And when we read Jesus' words, when we think about Jesus' words, I am the way, we have a tendency to envision a road. I mean, that's what I've always envisioned. And when he says, I am the way, he's saying, I'm the road to God. But the more I think about that, and the more I ponder it in the context of what Jesus is saying, I don't think he's saying, I'm the road. I think he's saying, I'm the vehicle. I'm not the pathway of transportation. I'm the means of transportation. And the call of Jesus is not walk this road. The call of Jesus is get in the car with me. Ride with me. It, Jesus isn't saying, all right, here are the directions. And I hope you can understand them. I hope you can follow them. I hope you get it. He's saying you join me you get in with me and I'll take you and it's all about the journey with him it's not us trying to figure things out it's not us walking the road and hoping that we get it right it's about engaging ourselves with Jesus now that implies then that it's not so much about perfectly following the road it's not about perfectionism. It's about surrendering to Jesus. See, when it's the road, then we're all anxious and worried that make sure we get the right way and we got to do it perfectly and we come to these whys in the road and we're thinking, I don't know what to do. But when we're in with Jesus, he takes us where he wants us to go. And sometimes you, you, on the road, you think, yikes, I don't know if we're going to make it or not. And sometimes you come up to dead ends and he says, okay, well, we'll go this way. All right, that looks like a pretty treacherous road, but we'll do it. It's not so much walking a road and us figuring it out and trying to be perfect. It's about surrendering our lives to Christ and letting him take us where he wants us to go. I mentioned last week about how I walk in the mornings up and down our road and 
I was thinking about this again this week as I was walking. And Tuesday morning, when I was out walking, it had snowed the night before. And there was very little traffic on the road. And as I'm walking down the road, I usually make two loops on the road. And when I came back around to start the second loop, the only markings on the road were my footprints from the first time I'd been there. How weird and awkward would it be if I decided that the most productive thing I could do was to make sure that I stepped exactly in the same footprints every time. I mean, it worked right the first time, so it must be the right place to step. I don't want to make a misstep on this road. I don't want to have my head down and go the wrong way, so I'm going to walk, and so I'm going, making sure I get my footprints right in the, right in the exact same spot all along the way. I'd probably still be out there walking, and what would I really accomplish? I certainly wouldn't be there to get, we certainly wouldn't get the exercise going that slowly. I'm trying to walk as quickly as I can and not slip on the snow and fall down. But the whole point is exercise. It's not, can I step exactly in these perfect footprints? And I think sometimes we think following Jesus the way is these perfect footprints. It's really not about that. That's, that just creates anxiety and worry and fear for us. And Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. You just come with me. It's not about this perfectionistic mindset of everything has to be perfect. It's about surrendering and, and the joy of the journey with him. I find when, if, I, if I were to do that, if I were to just keep my head down in those footprints, I wouldn't have any clue about anything else going on around me. And part of the journey is seeing what's around us, enjoying the scenery, seeing other people, talking with people, seeing what's going on. I, I think of it this way. When you take a vacation with your family, you know, some of us are more you know, planners than other people. Some people like to be spontaneous, but if you're a planner, often it's all about getting the plan right. And the, and the definition of a good vacation is we followed the plan. No glitches. And some of you are laughing because you have probably one spouse who's this and one spouse who's that or whatever your family is, right? And, and the, the, you, get to the, you get back home and you're saying, that was a great vacation because we checked off everything on the list. And the other person's going, this was not a great vacation. What if a great vacation is we enjoyed being together, even if there were glitches on it, even if we didn't check everything off the list, even if we didn't accomplish everything exactly the way we had it planned out? The point of it is we were together. We had fun. Stuff happened. It didn't always go exactly the way we wanted, but we were still together. Or it's like going out on a date. You know, you, you plan everything, you, 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 know, you get the restaurant, you, you have everything planned out, exactly what you're going to do. How often does it turn out exactly the way you plan it? Does that make the date no longer positive? Or is the whole point being together? Even if stuff doesn't go the way you planned it. And there, I think that there is something about that in our journey with Jesus. Is it about we've gotten every step just right, we've followed everything just perfectly? Or is it, 
we're with Jesus. And life takes odd turns and, and, and the roads take twists and curves and ups and downs, but we're with Jesus and that's really the point. We're with Jesus. I find that when our goal is perfectionism, we have a tendency to become very legalistic and we become very judgmental when we become legalistic. And we start thinking when Jesus says, I'm the way, that we view that as that means there are people who are in and there are people who are out and Jesus' statement is a line in the sand. It's building walls. And I'm not so sure that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying, I'm the way, and that means the rest of you are out. I think he's saying to the disciples and to us, all of you would be out if it weren't for me. His point is, you now have a way. There is now a way to know God, and it's me. And everybody's invited. Everybody's a part of it. Everybody's welcome. Now, some people may reject it. Some people may not want it. But everybody is welcome. There are no barriers to coming to Jesus. And that means that, some, that means that our formulas, our ways of thinking that we have said, all right, there's only one way to come to Jesus. And everybody has to follow the way that typically what we have discovered and we have followed. God is bigger than that. Everything comes through Jesus, but people come to Jesus in all different ways. And they come to Jesus through all different means. And instead of limiting that, we let Jesus work with people as he works with them. I have this vision in my mind of the time we went to New York City and we came through New Jersey and went through the Holland Tunnel. And if you've ever done that, it's one of the most nerve-wracking things I've ever done driving to that. What do you got? Like 10 lanes across that eventually have to get down to two or three lanes. And everybody, and you can tell the people who've never done this before and the people who do it every day. And I was one of the people who'd never done it before. And you know, you, you know, first of all, you don't realize, oh, we got to move. And people are honking their horns and you know, they're getting angry at you. And, and eventually you're getting all these people narrowed in and you're squeezing everybody down into it. And I think sometimes that's how we view Jesus and the gospel that it's our way it's, it's what we know it's, it's, this is the way it happened for me this is the way it happens for everybody and we got to squeeze everybody down and get them to Jesus the exact same way we came to Jesus and all the while Jesus is saying they're not you I didn't expect you to come to me the way they did and I don't expect them to come to me the way you did. The point is, we're all coming to Jesus. Jesus is the way, the only way, the way. It's getting in with Jesus. And he is so patient and loving and gracious that he works with us wherever we are, begins with us wherever we are, and keeps moving us to himself. And some people's paths look very different than yours or mine, just as our paths look very different than theirs. But it's all about Jesus. 
I was reading the other day someone who said Jesus didn't, wasn't intended to create an in-group that banished some people to an out-group. What he wanted to create was a come-on-in group. Everybody's welcome. Or to put it another way, Jesus threatened people with inclusion. I like that. He threatened people with inclusion. And the only reason they're excluded is because they have chosen to reject their acceptance. And there are people who do reject their acceptance. But it's not because Jesus doesn't invite them. It's not because Jesus doesn't want them. It's not because Jesus isn't saying, come on with me. It's because they simply don't want to be with him. And he's saying to every one of us who are maybe well on the journey, keep coming to me. Keep sticking with me. You may not know exactly where this road's going to lead, but if you're with me, it's okay. It's good. I, I think sometimes we have, we're like, we're like the kids riding in the car. And I suspect we've all been on both, many of us have been on both sides of it, but at least we've been the children in the back seat poking mom or dad. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? I'm bored. Are we there yet? You know. Because we're all about the destination. We're all about the end. And the end is important. But really, it's about the journey. It's about being with Jesus. It's about the it's riding with him. That's the joy, that's the excitement. And he gets us to the end when he gets us to the end. But it's, you know, if we're so focused on the end, what ends up happening is we don't enjoy the journey. We're missing all the wonderful, beautiful scenery all around us. We're missing the joy of, of being together as we ride along. We're missing the, the exhilaration of learning about Jesus and learning of him and getting to know him and experiencing him. We miss all of that because all we're thinking about is getting to the end, getting to the end, getting to the end. I think it's one of the reasons why maybe sometimes we aren't as interested in the rest of the world because all we're thinking about is us. All we're thinking about is getting to the end and, and we're not thinking about all the people around us who need to know of Jesus. All the people around us who are on a journey and some of them are in, with him and some of them are not. But if all we're thinking about is the end, we're really not paying that much attention to anybody else. We just want to get going, get to the end, get to the end. And we miss the whole joy and the exhilaration of the journey with Jesus. I talked last week about the, uh, how Jesus' statement, I'm the light of the world, fits in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. That celebration that takes the Israelites back to when they were in the wilderness coming after they came out of Egypt. And for 40 years, they live in these little temporary dwellings, little lean-to type things. And for 40 years, they live in this temporary stuff with the hope and the dream that one day they will be established in the promised land and when they get there they will have permanency they have permanency they'll have homes and land and animals and farms that they can stay with right there and they aren't wandering all over the place 
And that permanence is what they're dreaming for. And God says to them, yeah, I'm bringing you to this place of residency, but I don't want you to ever forget the temporary life that you lived. And I, and I was reading about that, and someone said, said that, the whole, you know, it's not just about remembering the temporary nature and how God cared for them, but it's also realizing that we never fully arrive. God is saying to them, don't forget that temporary life because quite frankly, you've never truly, fully arrive. What ends up happening with Israel is when they're back in the temporary dwellings, they really need God because life is fragile and it's, un and it's, it's unexpected and temporary and that creates a sense of need when they get to the promised land and they settle down they begin to think we're okay maybe we don't really need God anymore we're good we've arrived and God is trying to help them understand you never fully arrive you always need me And that's something that we need to grasp and understand. I, I, you know, I've always thought that when we get to heaven, when we, when we experience the fullness of Christ bringing in his kingdom and all of its glory and the new heaven and the new earth, there will be this sense of arrival that we are finished. The more I think about it, the more I believe we're never finished. Because to be finished means that we've learned everything we could ever know about God. We've experienced everything we could ever experience about God. And I don't think it will be, and I, I just think when we get to heaven, there will be this continual learning, continual experiencing. Because that's one of the great joys of life. I mean, you know those moments you're reading something, you're in a conversation with someone, you're watching something, and all of a sudden the light goes on. And it's like the most exhilarating moment in the world when something becomes clear to us and we get it. Those are great moments. We live for those moments. And it just makes me think that heaven will be this series of those kinds of moments as we understand more and more about God. The difference is now we're frustrated that we don't know everything. There, I don't think it'll be that frustration. It'll just be the joy of understanding more of God as he reveals more and more and more and more of himself to us. And we understand him and we have those aha moments of him. Because here's the reality. If we ever come to the place where we arrive, then we don't really need Jesus anymore. We're done. And I think of all places heaven will not be a place where we don't need Jesus anymore it will be the place where we realize like we never realized before how much we need Jesus and now we wrestle to believe that it's part of our problem then we will embrace it fully and completely and our reliance on Jesus and our hearts open to Jesus will be full and complete. And we will understand like we've never understood before who Jesus is and, and who he is in our lives and the joy of the journey with him. Sometimes now the journey feels 
unsettling. Sometimes now the journey feels a struggle and we wrestle to stick with him. In that day, we won't wrestle with that anymore. It'll just be fully experiencing the joy of being with Christ on the journey. Years and years ago, I read an analogy of a guy who said that it struck him one day that maybe the Christian life is like riding a tandem bike with Jesus. And when we start out, we're on the front, Jesus on the back, and he's helping us pedal. And at some point along the way, we come to realize that maybe life would be better on this journey with Jesus on this bike if we switch places. And we let Jesus be in the front and we're on the back helping him pedal. The danger of that is when you're on the front, you get to steer. And one of the reasons we like to be in the front is because we like to be in control and we want to steer the bike where we want it to go. But real life with Jesus is letting him be on the front, letting him steer the bike. And sometimes when he, on the journey that he takes us on this bike, sometimes the road is serene, kind of like this road in this picture. You know, just kind of nice farmland, Midwest, you can see for miles. Sometimes it's a little wavy, like this picture. Sometimes it's a little curvy. Sometimes it's even curvier. Sometimes it feels downright dangerous. What makes it okay is that Jesus is steering the bike. And when Jesus is steering the bike, we begin to understand, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. Don't feel anxiety and stress and fear because it's Jesus. We can trust him. He knows what the road's like. He understands how to maneuver the bike as he needs to. He knows how to take the turns when he, as he needs to. And sometimes it feels like we're rocketing down Lombard Street and there's a stop sign at the bottom and we're going way too fast. But he knows what he's doing. And the journey becomes joy. Because he's steering, he's leading, and we're with him. I don't know exactly what may be you, maybe in your life today, that you're struggling to trust him. Part of your journey that you're wrestling with believing that you can really trust him to take you where he knows his best. Maybe it's just letting go of perfectionism. Maybe and just surrendering. Maybe it's, it's, it's letting him lead. Maybe it's just releasing your fears and experiencing the joy of being with him and, and riding with him. 
Maybe there's something in particular that's an obstacle right now and you just don't want to let it go. And you can't quite believe that letting it go is going to lead to joy. Let me encourage you to let it go, to trust Him, to surrender. Because Jesus, who says, Don't let your hearts be troubled, says, I'm the way, the truth, and in me is life. Holy Father, in this moment of silence, help us to see that you are trustworthy and good. Called the calling of Christ is the best life we could ever live. Father, give us grace to surrender each day to you and to find in that surrender the joy of the journey with you. We ask this through Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. I once was lost in darkest
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.